attitudes are beginning to change. A stigma surrounding dyslexia. Muddled messages were received the by the brain. Dyslexia. It will not hold you back. Dyslexia. It's kind of your super. Anything is dyslexia. Dyslexia. Hi everyone, I'm Elizabeth. And I'm Charlotte. And this is our Move Beyond Words podcast. In this series, we are exploring dyslexia in all its surprising, creative and often misunderstood forms. Each week, we invite different guests to talk, listen and share. Expect authentic, off-the-cuff stories to connect with and learn from. And celebrate the ways in which our guests move beyond words. On this week's episode, we are so excited to share our conversation with the talented Dame Darcy Bustle. For those of you who have been hiding under a rock, she is best known for her two-decade tenure as the leading lady of British Ballet. And possibly more recently, you would have seen her on the judging panel of Strictly Come Dancing. And now she's here with us, sharing her story, a very personal story about her relationship with dyslexia and dance. It's such a pleasure to sit down with someone we've both massively admired and respected within our industry and discuss something so personal that we all share in common. Darcy, this is really special for me to be interviewing you a huge icon and role model that both Elizabeth and I have looked up to. I remember when I was training to be a dancer and people would ask me who is my favourite dancer and I'd say Darcy Muzzle and I'm just really pleased that you've been here to make us realise how wonderful creativity and the arts and dance can be and how informative it can be in education. And you definitely inspired me when I was at school. I'm just so grateful that you're speaking here today about your dyslexia and about how dyslexia can affect dancers and artists. Thank you for joining us on our Move Beyond Words podcast and welcome to the show, Dame Darcy Bustle. Well, thanks. Thanks, ladies, for a lovely intro. (laughs) It's lovely to be here. Thank you. So Darcy, it'd be great to start by taking us back to the beginning. When did you first get involved in dance? So my dancing world, um, I suppose, sort of started every Saturday from the age of five. Um, My mum sent me to ballet classes, but not really because of my interests. I wasn't there was nothing that was pulling me. Uh, weirdly, um, I hadn't really heard or seen a lot of dance as a young child and, and their aspirations of being a ballerina. But she knew it would straighten up my legs. I had really not knees. <laughs> she knew that all the strengthening, your posture and awareness of your physicality, um, it would be really good for my body. And I was obviously um, growing fast. Um, but I also had a, lot, a little bit too much energy and it was a great way uh, to exert that. And, mm-hmm. um, and then suddenly, I, you know, it took me a while. I was a bit of a rebel. I didn't really enjoy it at first. Um, and then I just sort of fell in love with it. It was, it was down to my friends, though. Um, my friends going made me stick with it. Um, and then I was slightly blinkered and I couldn't see any further than dance. I only saw that box and uh, went to a performing arts school and was 
very lucky to try a whole lot of styles of dance and realized that what I loved was classical ballet. And I think it was sort of um, the amount of detail and the technique. And I was slightly obsessed with perfecting the technique. I think it was a great focus for me um, and was a, a wonderful escape um, from everyday school. Uh, and then that obsession just carried on. I wasn't, I wasn't ever brilliant. It took me a while um, to strengthen and, and, and hone my technique. But as soon as I knew I had ability and, and I heard on the grapevine that I had ability, um, then I couldn't look back and I tried to make the most of every moment I had in a studio. Um, and then it was luck being around the right people at the right time that made it for me. And a lot of talent. Well, a lot of hard work, <laughs> as they say. What is it? 90% hard work, 10% talent. And I, I totally believe in that, actually. All right, you know, to be a dancer, you need great facility and you need the, the mm. body to be able to survive the job um, and, and to uh, be equipped with all the right tools to do it well. Mm. But generally, hard work exactly is the thing um, that's essential. <laughs> yeah, as you said, you know, just to keep pushing your body further than it wants to go. Did that mental ability, that mental strength come from your experience within the classroom, do you think? I think I learned it um, because I suppose with having a really troubled time just sitting still and trying to focus on a piece of paper and finding that the most difficult thing, looking at words or numbers mm. was unbearable. Um, to suddenly focus on something where I knew I could actually achieve something was like a revelation. <laughs> you know, it yeah. was like, like the sun had suddenly come out and I was like, wow. So if I focus on this, I actually make improvements, but you know, however much I focused on the paper and what was being told, what I was being told, you know, I wasn't getting anywhere and it was so frustrating in the classroom. So there was two things. I think I, I learned, you know, I had an ability and a focus where it worked. I had an escape as well because to sit still for me was so difficult anyway. Um, and in a studio made so much sense for who I was. Um, and I suppose it created a resilience um, that everything comes down to uh, sort of the pig-headed stubbornness, stubbornness inside me and, and just to stick with it uh, until it worked. And I think a lot of support from my, my mother, my dad, just saying, you know, if you want something enough, you can achieve it. Oh, that's so key, isn't it? Having that support. And, and how did it make you feel at the time when you were dancing? Do you, do you recall how, how it made you feel in comparison to the classroom? I can't really say, I can't remember. I just, I just knew um, the freedom it gave mm. me instead of what I felt the constraints when I was in a classroom and the focus wasn't on me. I don't know, sometimes working in a studio seemed more of a team thing where I felt really pressurized in a classroom, but that's probably just because of my dyslexia and feeling that everybody was noticing every mistake I made and that was, that was horrible hearing you speak about school makes me think about your journey to your amazing career which we'll talk about in a second but actually it makes me think back at when at White Lodge for example like 50% of the classes are physical and practical and the other 50% is very academic and I think previous academic school into this amazing kind of creative world 
where you confuse the two together that really informed one another and I don't know if you found a, a, a kind of you had a, a breakthrough moment when you were at school and and sort of had the balance between something artistic and something academic well I think you've nailed it on the head it's balance you know for a child to have that much physicality and that time uh, to sit down and focus on you know on work if if we could do that in education every day now just imagine what we get these kids to achieve because of course as you say as soon as I could achieve something physically it gave me the confidence then to get back in the classroom and feel much more comfortable with myself because I didn't yeah. feel a failure because I was already accomplishing something somewhere else and I think that's where we've got to create so much more balance in education that kids are always finding out their little strengths you know we all notice our weaknesses sadly but we don't always notice our strengths and we've got to be given many more opportunities for that and so there has to be a lot more flexibility with how we teach. I'm kind of jumping to your big career moment here Mm -hmm. When were you 19 when Kenneth Macmillan noticed your exceptional technique and ability and decided to promote you into his ballet? Now, correct me if I'm wrong, the Prince of Pagodas? Well done. Yes. (laughs) I've been fretting over saying that, as you can tell. (laughs) It is an unusual name. Well, it was actually before then... um, I was very lucky, um, I think it was my first school performance at the Royal Ballet School. Um, we were in Barons Court and those lovely old studios yeah. and he, we were doing a concerto and I got given the third movement when I was 16. Oh my gosh. Yeah, 16, 17. So a massive break for me there wow. and he came into the studio to watch. So that was like, whoa, you know. This wow. Is, this major choreographer, you know, had been director, had done everything, you know, and there he was watching our rehearsals of our school performance. And um, supposedly he had said, you know, he suddenly saw the dancer that he wanted to work with then. And, and that's, I think, a lot down to he'd gone to America a couple of years before and had worked there and, and just like the dynamics of the American dancer. And, mm-hmm. and I reminded him of that. And uh, and that's what he was looking for at the time. So I was, you know, wow, what an opportunity. So he remembered me. I went into Sadler's Wells Royal Ballet as soon as I, I graduated from the school. And I got this call literally after nearly just the end of the year, the first year I was there, to go into the director's office, um, Sir Peter Wright at the time. And he said, um, I've got good and bad news. And I was like, oh. Oh, you know, thinking I've been in trouble because I, I, I never really stuck by the rules. But he, um, he, he said, oh, no. And I, and I said, oh, well, give me the bad news. He said, you're, you've, you're going to leave our company if you take this choice. I said, what choice? Like this. He said, well, the good news is you've been asked to um, create a brand new work with Sir Kenneth McMillan, but he can only do that if you join the resident company. And that was just like, wow. I mean, you can yeah. imagine a big blur um, in front of me and, and not, yeah. yeah, I had to keep pinching myself going, well, what is going on? So that was that big change. And I had to go into the company and be promoted to a soloist straight away, supposedly oh because I couldn't work on a principal role or choreographic role 
as a corps de ballet member and do the main part. So, and then that was a full year working with Kenneth because of his illness. He, he'd had a, a nasty um, heart attack a year before. And so we had to delay the opening of the show. So you imagine working with someone like that every day. I was just, you know, besides learning a brand new rep with a new company and I'd only been in the company for a year. And so really, really, big big time and thank gosh I think being that young you don't take it all on board and the amount of pressure it puts on your shoulders um because you don't think you just focus on what you had to do there and then and that was brilliant and so I, I was incredibly fortunate and uh, and I did know it I did know it but um I uh, I just went for it took the, ball with them. <laughs> took the horns <laughs> on the ball <laughs> and rode oh, off into brilliant. the the hard sweating yeah. studio basically <laughs> did you kind of notice any of any of your dyslexic traits really come into into place at that point in time well my dyslexic traits were always there mm. um sadly i think um because i didn't didn't get the opportunity at a young age to focus correctly um at how to i suppose repair or, or work out how to work with dyslexia it came um I was recognized quite late or you know they just thought I was a lazy kid which of course I never was but there we go but um it's always with me and it's always with me now it's just in a different light and how I uh, deal with it um at the time you know one of the best things about being a dancer was the amount of rep and steps and you have to learn and so you imagine exercising the mind like mm. that. It's so brilliant. And um, I just noticed the improvement, you know, on every level because of my dancing. And that wasn't just because of confidence. That was because we were right. constantly trying to retain memory, 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 you know. Uh, so on Shame On, solos, new ballets, new works, you mm. know. So your mind, you know, people think just because you're not writing essays and reading books and you know doing this that the mind is working in dance it's wow you know there was so much i had to put in and, and retain and and focus and um yeah it was a real it was a real transformation for myself to know that i could keep improving on my dyslexia, but still as a career and see myself as a dancer and that I had a future, which was really exciting. Out of interest, what were some of your skills that you kind of grasped to retain the information that you well, needed to retain? Like, do you know some of what, what you do that's different from so your colleagues? I don't know if you come across this in education. One of the big things that helped me um, for my exams, you know, if I was doing my O-levels, my GCSEs, um, it was music. You listen to a piece of music, it helps you retain mm. knowledge. And if you keep that tune in your head, suddenly the image comes back of everything you've been studying at that time while you've been listening to that one tune. So, you know, as a dancer to retain steps, music was the first link always. So if you listen to the music suddenly, bang, these movements, these steps, all these technical terms all came back into your mind and came fresh again. 
to do it without music was really hard. I mean, it's still possible, but that was one major tool that really helped. Um, and I think every dancer uses that. Absolutely. <laughs> For me, you know, when I first started, when I first auditioned for the Royal Ballet School, um, when I was about 12, um, one of the hardest things I noticed compared to everybody else, because I wasn't well trained or hadn't had everyday training, I'd only had twice a week before that, is I couldn't pick up the steps. I didn't have the language of movements and steps and then, and to retain the enchaimons. I didn't never had that training. So I came into that audition room and everybody would go that way and I'd go the other way. I mean, I was like all over the place. Uh, you know, they saw potential, but I had a long oh, way to God, go. Yeah. And, and that was very much my dyslexia kicking in as well because it just took me a bit more time. Um, but I definitely put down to my dancing that it really assisted me big time um, and understanding how I could uh, retain more knowledge and then I enjoyed reading and you know, it wasn't so difficult. I don't know, weird things like that, but down to me and the movement. Yeah, right. retaining information has just been such a such a challenging thing for me personally. Um, and, and yeah, it's lovely to hear someone, you know, who's had such an exceptional career kind of say that as well. We have to be passionate about something have an interest and want to retain it of course I yeah. could not even now if somebody gave me a book mm. of something I had no interest in I couldn't get through it I'd be like that oh my god however well it was written however you know I really have to suddenly yeah. have had a glint of something that, oh, I'm really fascinated about that. I really want to you know that's the only thing that could really mm. drive me and really get over uh, still a lot of my difficulties with my dyslexia completely agree it's it's whenever I'm thinking of like a concept or if you're learning choreography and and it's a topic that you're really inspired by or even if it's like an exercise I remember in the classroom if the exercise wasn't something that I I got really excited by it would completely go I wouldn't mm. feel that attachment to it and I can oh that's so definitely, true and actually mm. the music is so important because you're right that as soon as you hear a score all the moves come back to you. But mm. if I'm, I never really implement music when I'm writing or, mm. or reading. I always think it's a little distracting, but actually I think that's a great tool. And so when you were young, did you know about your dyslexia or was it ever noticed at school? I was at a state school that was quite good, as in it was out of the box state school, and we always were challenged different things. It was quite arty-farty, which was fabulous for me. Um, but they they did believe I was lazy. Um, I had difficulty on focusing, but basically I wanted to run away from it uh, because I knew I wasn't good. So my mother basically said, there is nothing lazy about my daughter there is something she is having real problems with and that is reading and writing um and she's intelligent she has a high iq you know we, we knew all these things so um wasn't i was stupid or anything like that it just needed a support or a direction and the school you know my mother actually got me the test and the school still were like ah, you know people love putting names on things you know they weren't convinced um, I mean, I, I went to, like a lot of kids, you know, because we all develop at different times, I went to extra reading classes anyway. 
but nothing was changing for me where other kids were suddenly being inspired and then suddenly a book was suddenly really interesting it still was you know I looked at the words and it just felt like a blur and the smaller the words the harder so then I was given glasses and maybe this is gonna help and you know and I had to wear a hideous eye patch on one eye because I had one lazy eye and I was thinking oh my god <laughs> uh, this is not helping no. so I just felt like one thing after another that I I wasn't going to make that improvement and it was horrible to know um but I think my mother very quickly knew that I could get help and there were ways of and so I had to sadly at that time I had to go to a hospital for classes for dyslexia wow and that was a little oh bit destroying God. as well and but, but yeah. fortunately I, I just started at, um so I was 11 and I just started at um uh, performing arts school, arts ed. So I was in the Barbican. So I used to uh, miss religious studies, which was quite a bonus. Great. Um, and I think French, I used to miss French and religious studies to go off. And um, I used to walk to Bartholomew yeah, Mills Hospital to have my extra kind of English class, basically, but it was for dyslexia and it was a revelation. Suddenly he said, oh, you know, just focus on this. We, you know, you just turn things around. What you do all the time is you miss out the front. I always miss the first letter of every word. It was just focusing on how I looked at things and how we could turn it around. I mean, I literally nearly wanted to, when I first started writing, was right upside down, you know, <laughs> when it sometimes, it's like looking in a mirror, everything yeah. kind of goes wrong. <laughs> but um, I think having a teacher like that, but sadly it was at a hospital I had to go to. Um, so that was not great for your morale. <laughs> Definitely not. But I was luckily at a performing arts school, so then I could just lose myself in every class. But yeah, that's uh, how I found out. But it was too late, really. You know, you want to find mm. out. I mean, I know now how important it is for teachers to be educated in dyslexia and kids from a very young age, you know, which we, I think my oldest daughter, we were able to check when she was about four, as soon as she started school, straight away that she had the same sort of difficulties, not as extreme as I did, um, but we were able to go bang, we helped her straight away and, and it was a revelation and, you know, she still notices it, but nothing, nothing, because we started young, it was just too late with me. That's so nice. You've been able to kind of take what you've learned in your experience mm. and not let the same things happen again. It's lovely to see those cycles being yeah. broken. So did dancing feel like an escape from all the difficulties at school? Yes and, and no. <laughs> Sometimes, um, I mean, like I said, at first it was very difficult to pick up steps and yeah. I was probably much slower than everybody um but it was very much an escape in focusing on a technique which I slightly got obsessed about but I think that was part of it because I hadn't actually seen many ballets so to imagine myself even as a performer I wasn't even there for me it was just to impress a teacher um and to know that each day I came back I could make a difference and, and I think that was the big change. The love of dance came much later, you know, in the performance side and how you used your imagination to express a role and stuff. 
you know, I knew I needed to focus on something. I had a determination in me. I had a pig-headedness sort of grit in me that I was not going to give up. And, and, and dance was perfect in every way for that. I think it takes a long time to be much more open when you've held something back for so long because you're always worried about what people think. As a dancer, that took a long time for me to realize I could express that. And that was maturity and that was gonna take time. And that wasn't until I actually reached a company did I actually go, it's great to be me. <laughs> you know, oh, I only wanted to impress yeah. everybody else for so long because um, it was you know, not always easy to impress. So um, yeah, it was odd. The different stages I think I went through it as a dancer to be able to be myself. That's really nice to hear. Because you kind of talked about dyslexia quite later on in, in your mm. career. Was that something that you felt like um, was part of the process in accepting who you are and not having to yeah. show up as someone else for someone else? I really, really, really never wanted to use it as an excuse. I thought people will treat me differently and mm. I was really worried about that. So I didn't want you know I think I grew up thinking oh I can't use it as a weakness nobody must think I'm weak I can't have that and so to have the name I felt unhelpful to start with you know to be found this is what I have dyslexia I was really against it and I said to my mom I, I prefer if people didn't know please please can I try and cover it up in any way possible you know so obviously just learning more about it and being able to cope with it and manage it and all that um, was perfect, but I didn't want the label. And so I never talked about it at all. Um, I think as a dancer, when you get into the arts, it was okay to be different. That was brilliant, mm. you know? So I was in a world where to be different was actually ideal, you know, where being at school was so wrong to be different. <laughs> um, so I think that's where it certainly came to light, where I was like, okay, as soon as I feel really confident of who I am and who I was as a dancer, then I didn't have to worry about what people thought, you know, and that's that confidence. And that takes time. You start very young with a lot of responsibilities as a dancer. And because I was principal very young, it did take me time to go, okay, people, it doesn't matter now. I, I'm happy to talk about it. <laughs> but it did take me a long time. And I, I'm, I'm a bit... A bit annoyed <laughs> with myself that I didn't speak up you know that's creating awareness that's like what you're mm. doing now this is great and and then I found out of these actresses and actors who had dyslexia and suddenly all these different people in the arts were you know these amazing creative imaginative people and I thought wow I'm one of them <laughs> excellent <laughs> You know, it, it took courage. It took a lot of courage. Um, and it's, you know, I also, it's funny having children as well. Like, I thought, well, is it a weakness to show them that I had trouble at school? Um, you know, would that, would that make them look at me differently as a mother? You know, all these stupid doubts that go through your mind all the way through your life. Um, 
And yeah, it's something that's always there. And I, I think about it, gosh, when I'm on live television, I'm like, oh my God, they're gonna know I don't have the word for this and I don't have the word for that because I'm not a well-read person and I'm this. So yeah, it's, it's amazing how it's constantly there. But um, yeah, I mean, I know I've done a lot in my life and I should feel very proud. Absolutely. I mean, Charlie and I have just made a film. Um, We're in the midst of wrapping it up and it's called Unboxed. And it's all about that. It's all about that internal conversation being labeled by someone else, what that does to you mentally and how you get out of that um, rut of feeling boxed in and what happens when you alleviate that, but also who defines what this label is and what it means and what ability you can and you can't have with dyslexia. And so I I like to think of this film as like we're dancing with dyslexia by the end and like you're finding your rhythm um, because yeah, it doesn't stop you. Um, and I think it's really beautiful that, you know, your children are, have, have witnessed that in their mum. You know, you've gone through that and um, and yeah, they'll learn. They'll learn so much from that experience. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's really healthy to know your strengths and your weaknesses. And we try and avoid this all the time with kids. Oh, don't, don't let them know that they have the weakness here and they're not so great here. As soon as they know, they can move forward. You know, to constantly give them a false attitude to, no, you're great at this. Oh, you're great at that. No. <laughs> Be realistic. You know, it's not going to hurt because you are going to find their strengths. Yeah. As soon as you find your weakness, you're going to find your strengths. You know, it takes time. But I think we mustn't worry about, oh, these people are excelling in that. Everybody has something they're going to excel in. That's what we should be teaching children. There is something you will excel in. And it maybe it might take a little bit longer than the others, but there's, there's the awful little place since there. Um, you know, I would never, ever to say, you know, I would be a better person if I didn't have dyslexia. No way. I am only the person I am today is because I had dyslexia and it gave me a resilience and a strength to keep fighting. I think I would have been soft as anything if I hadn't had it. (laughs) (laughs) And pathetic and, oh, no, I won't try that. You know, it, it made me try and try and try and try and you know, maybe there was something built inside me as well, but I knew I had to make it work um, because I didn't have, I didn't have anything else. So my dancing had to work. I had to make that a life and a career and it was going to be everything to get noticed. And, you know, I was told, you know, it's funny, isn't it? I was in England and the tradition is to have petite small dancers and there I couldn't have been more contrasting than that um but I wasn't going to let people say oh it's such a shame you know your shoulders are really broad and such a shame you're so tall because you're not going to really make it in the company and I thought what the you know <laughs> not telling me that <laughs> yeah yes and so you know it really made me um made me be able to take the punches yeah and get back on my feet much quicker much quicker and to have that resilience and uh, I mean we need to take punches and we mustn't avoid that side we can't make it all smooth it's not a smooth journey 
and it shouldn't be. It's never interesting if it's smooth. <laughs> yeah. On this podcast, we have a feature called Show and Tell, just like school. We ask our guests to bring on and showcase an item that represents AIDS or embraces dyslexia. So is there an item that you can share with us that you believe helps you um, or represents dyslexia in your life? Um, Well, I've got something very close to me, um, is this book. This was my spelling book. So I must have got this in 1979 or something. And all the words, I mean, I think I wrote diary on it, but basically I created so any words that I couldn't retain or something I found difficult with, you know, I could ref- look at it in here and just look at it, over it. And also would write sometimes what it meant <laughs> because, you know, all the, I mean, English language is pretty difficult anyway, <laughs> but um, it was, really helpful and it's amazing I was looking for it yeah when you asked about the show and tell thing and whether I had this book and I knew I've been cleaning out everything and I kept this book and it's been brilliant and you know you know of course then we didn't have phones or Siri to say Siri how do you spell this (laughs) um this was my little Siri basically and it was just helpful to write it down as well you know, everything for me was a visual. So if I wrote it mm. down and physically went through the motion of that word and how it was written and um, and how it was broken down, mm. it, I, it was helped to retain it as well. Um, but, but that book was it. And, and given, you know, your career within the industry, do you feel or did you feel that, people were open to speaking about dyslexia. It sounds like they weren't, but do you see that things are definitely changing? Definitely things have changed big time. Uh, I do notice that. Um, I don't think it was something you would ever bother bringing it up when I was growing up or, or in my industry as a dancer. I was very lucky I didn't have to confront it um, when I, everything was visual and expressive through the body and that was your tool so I was so lucky there um but I I just having my kids go through school and also now I work with state schools because we try and put dance into state schools and I I do notice that kids need those outlets they need balance within education and you do see it being talked about more and which is brilliant and it being easier, I think, for teachers especially to be able to work with kids that have dyslexia. I think if teachers don't have those tools, you know, how, how do they manage a class? Because, you know, we all have dyslexia in some tiny way. <laughs> you know, and, and they're small tricks of the trade that get those kids moving forward. Um, but yeah, I think that's why there has to be balance within the everyday education. And if we don't have the creative arts and the ability for kids to use their imagination to express certain things, we are really restricting them from moving forward quicker and, and enjoying that yeah. life at school. I hated it at school. My God, I hated it. We don't want kids to hate school. It's, you know, it's one of the best times in life, you know really important with their mates every day it's perfect you know they've got to have a good time 
And we've seen that you're hosting the Royal Opera House Live Cinema Evenings and you're interviewing Mm -hmm. guests live, which you spoke about earlier and how kind of nerve wracking that can be. And I'd be really interested to know how you manage those situations and um, how dyslexia kind of creeps in and how you deal with that. I'm usually just a very enthusiastic person. So when it comes to interviews, I'm usually just quite fascinated about the person. You know, when we have a time span, that's when it's difficult and keeping to timing and all that. Um, But generally, you know, for me, when it comes to difficult names, (laughs) um, and that can be things, you know, a piece of music and it's an Italian piece of music and it has some, you know, anything with words that are are hard to pronounce and stuff like that, I suddenly freeze um, and I notice that. So I have to sort of drum it into me and they'll be, and I'll fix very quickly onto the the wording and the scripts and things like that. Okay, these are my difficult areas. So I'll be very repetitive with those, make it feel as natural as possible, even speak aloud um, that same word over and over and over again. I know I can say it and I come to it and I go and it's like you know it's like learning to sing for the first time and you can't get the note out um, that doesn't happen to me and um I usually laugh it off and you know the nice thing is I've watched a lot of really amazing professional presenters um make mistakes and I just remind myself we all yeah. make mistakes and nobody yes. needs to know that this is my weakness no it's just a small mistake at that time I love that. Yeah. It rings very true. And Darcy, this kind of brings us to our closing question. And before we were speaking with you today, I decided to delve back and have a look at all of your amazing performances. And I remember when I was younger, seeing your final performance on the Upper House. Is it Song of the Earth? Yep, Song of the Earth. I always hesitate over saying a name or anything. But I remember it so clearly. I watched a clip of it earlier and it just just made me realise why I love dance, just watching this performance. And so this question is, what does dance mean to you? Oh, it's a big question, that one. Um, Well, I don't want to get too emotional, but it's sort of, been everything you know I can't imagine my life without it um and that's very selfish but I suppose it's been the most amazing tool to express something and to give other people joy I think you know what's incredibly exciting is that you're giving so many other people pleasure in what you do and so it's such a generous art and I wouldn't have realized that at first because I very much just did it for myself and I loved the process of it. Um, but I think what comes out in the end is how many people it affects and that can affect them in many different times in their life. And those are the messages you get um, of how it's changed, how somebody's felt or cope with something. And it can just be that one show. And it's really weird to know that you can affect people in that way. Um, and that's very special. Um, even though I've always said it's such a selfish art because there you are focusing on yourself and your technique and, and like how you look visually and all this. Um, but it, it, it's such a transformable Absolutely. thing as well. Yeah. You know? and, and that's what I think has been the great pleasure of being part of it is knowing that you're 
giving such pleasure to others. So I feel very, very lucky. It's sad when people don't notice that. <laughs> On that same line, what does dyslexia mean to you? Ooh, um, well, I never thought of it. It's, it's a bit of a bug, <laughs> but um, I, I always like to be quite proactive when it comes to something that is presumed as negative. So I always like to use the difficulties in my life constructively and, and make the best of that time. And I think I don't want to say that dyslexia has been this annoyance and this thing that's given me a bit of pain. It, it's made me who I am. So it's been a bit of a, I know it's a, it's a friend. It's a friend that's empowered me to be who I am. Sometimes Liz actually also says it's a teacher. I feel like there's some lovely answers that we've received. I think that I love the kind of nurturing friend and teacher and kind of thinking about um Darcy how you coach these dancers and my final question is what advice would you give to upcoming dancers in the industry who are being challenged by their dyslexia use it use all of those difficult times and put them into your art put them into who you are as an individual put them into your expression put them into how you perform um don't don't avoid it use it don't be scared of who you are so lovely i actually feel really emotional <laughs> i actually feel so emotional yeah i think yeah like having seen you and and your career and and yeah just what you've brought to the industry and as someone with dyslexia you know it's just incredibly inspiring to hear you say some of the things that I say to myself on a daily basis as mantras, you know, and just hearing that. Sorry, I feel quite emotional. Yeah, Aww. that someone Aww. who has, you know, done so much has has that same experience. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, don't worry. No, that's good. You know, that's the hardest thing is to be able to feel it, isn't it? Yeah. And we don't always feel it. And that's one brilliant thing about yeah. a career as a dancer. You get to feel it because every sense is in every part of you, from your hearing to your eyes to your skin, every, you can feel it all when you dance. And that's what we don't appreciate. You know, that's why it's such a brilliant art. You know, it helps you feel these things <laughs> and get it, get it out and get it open and, and feel fine about it. You'll have to close it, Charlie, because I'm um, <laughs> I'm bubbling over over here. <laughs> oh no, Darcy! Thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us today. It's a pleasure. Lovely to speak to you, girls. You've got a lot to say, and it's really nice. It's good to be brave, isn't it? <laughs> it really is. It feels good. I think it was really reconfirming and I think that's why I got emotional is because it's such a struggle sometimes and just hearing someone who I've just really looked up to 
just going through this the same thing it's um it's really reconfirming of just you know you've just got to keep going and keeping that drive that dyslexia has given us and continue to inspire others to do the same um i'm just feeling empowered and emotional how are you doing i would echo exactly what you've said and just pick up on yeah her sheer passion for the arts and the fact that she kind of never looked back she just looked forward and in the moment and i think that's fantastic advice for people who have felt bruised when you look back you kind of don't you want to learn from those experiences and like she said just take uh, the punches and build that resilience and let that carve you let that shape you This podcast is made with the wider Move Beyond Words team. Podcast production is by Niall Kalini-Taylor. Move Beyond Words project manager is Hannah Granger-Gibbs. Art and design is from Alex Colhan. PR and social media manager, Sean Gilling. And original music by Tom Parker. This series is funded by Arts Council England. <laughs>